regardless of what pays the bills, learn the fundamentals. Because eventually you will need them. And eventually every environment will get to a point where the network will be down. And who will troubleshoot that? The Python guys, the cloud guys, or someone who took time and learned the fundamentals. So there are tons of things that you can do on absolutely zero budget. And then when you get to a job interview, you can say, I did this and I did this and I did this and I learned this and you know, and it costs you nothing apart from your time. Is that crazy guy and we throw pizza under the door and eventually the network works? Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with a very special guest. Ivan, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Ivan, it's fantastic to have you back. We did a video probably a year and a half ago, and then we did a video a year before that. Just for everyone who doesn't know Ivan, Ivan is a fantastic person in the networking industry or field, years and years of experience. Ivan, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself, but I really wanna tap into your knowledge and experience to help people who wanna make a success of their lives in the networking sphere or field in 2023. So Ivan, tell us a bit, of your, a bit about yourself and you know, let's tap into that knowledge. Well, uh, I've been a networking engineer for way too long. I probably started <laughs> in 1985 or something uh, when the high-speed links were 9.6 kilobits for people who can sp still spell that. <laughs> So I've seen everything and everything else in between and figure out that more or less, you know, the history repeats itself. And yep. so whenever you hear the new hype, it's like, oh yeah, we've seen that before. I love, okay. you know, uh, writing blog posts and doing videos, explaining how, you know, all the new hot stuff is really just a bad iteration of the failures we've seen in the past. And so the vendors love me. I was gonna say that. So for everyone who's watching, I, what I really appreciate about Ivan is he doesn't mince his words and he, he's not, beholden to some vendor and he gives it to them as it is. And I really appreciate you, you know, giving us direct advice. So let me warn you, Ivan's gonna give us advice directly. So no no beating around the bush. Ivan, I really appreciate you doing that. Well, I'm Central European. I'm no, known not to be polite or diplomatic, so. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what, that's what I want. So Ivan, let's start with the, the question that, that, that I always ask you. Is it worth getting into networking in 2023 or should I rather become a developer or something else? Well, it really depends on uh, what your career goals are. Yep. Networking is not something that I would say, well, you know, if you want to have a fantastic career, go into networking. Networking is like plumbing. It's a reliable business. Everyone needs plumbers. Everyone needs networking engineers. Uh, there will always be work to do. It's not like we will get rid of plumbing or networking. I mean, even with wireless, you don't have wires, but you still have networking. So there will always be something to do. It will always be exciting if you're in the right mindset. I was never bored in my life. But is it some fantastic career? Well, not really. If you want to have a fantastic career, you should go to McKinsey. <laughs> so I think last time we spoke, you mentioned this. It's more like, a, um, a, what's it, electrical transmission? Rather than- Yeah, well, power transmission, uh, water treatment, <laughs> plumbing, uh, paper mills, you know. So in other words, it's not cool and sexy, but it's it's reliable and there's, there's always going to be work, right? Absolutely. Because I always hear people saying, you know, networking will go away, it'll be replaced by the cloud, all this kind of stuff. Enterprise networking will diminish. So people who were building uh, wired campus networks in the past are probably building wireless networks now. But uh, even an organization that, well, 
let's put it this way, an organization that's big enough will probably never go and just use the mobile networks of some operator. It's like, you know, big factories, they have their internal power plants and they have their internal uh, UPS systems. They have to be you know, independent of any third-party operator. If you're employing a thousand people, you can't rely on someone else to provide the infrastructure for connectivity because, you know, that guy fails. You can just send thousand people home. So there will always be that. Obviously, the servers are moving into the cloud. We don't have that many servers on site anymore. So maybe we don't need a data center on site anymore. But we still have to connect our people to the workload in the cloud, and someone has to get that done. And usually it cannot be done over the public internet because security and HIPAA and PCI and GDPR and all these wonderful acronyms that effectively mean you can't uh, transport your shit unencoded. It's, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people from Cisco or Cisco engineers move to AWS. I mean, you have to do networking in the cloud, right? Well, there are two types of networking in the cloud. Obviously, the cloud provider has to do networking. They have to build the infrastructure. And if you have a million servers in a single location, I mean, that's awesome. If I would be working somewhere there and got an invitation, probably I would go for it as well. But uh, obviously, they only take people with enough experience. They will not train their own people. That's too expensive. Why should they if they can just buy talent on the market? Uh, And the other thing is, even if they build all the infrastructure, then they give you the tools that you can build your own networking on top of that. And some people just think that, you know, you can uh, copy paste your way around and uh, you run click ops and click crazily on the GUI until something works. And then you leave it as it is because don't touch it because we don't know why it works. That can give you that. Well, that can get you to a certain point, but uh, eventually as you grow, as your needs expand and networking in the cloud is as complex as networking anywhere else. You need names for your servers. Those servers have to be reachable from anywhere. You want to have servers in different regions because latency. Unfortunately, cloud hasn't solved the laws of physics. Uh, The (laughs) speed of light is still not infinite. So you have to deploy your servers in various regions, and then you have to send your clients to the closest server, and you can't have one server. You must have multiple instances. And you need a load balancer in front of that. And well, unless you believe in the magic powers of having your memcache daemon opened uh, toward the internet on UDP and being used for denial of service attacks, which some people did, uh, then, well, you better protect yourself, which means you need security, you need firewalling. And I just mentioned everything we've been doing for the last 20 years. Nothing is going away. It's just, you know, available through an API and built by the minute and gigabyte. I love what you said. I mean, in the beginning, and you've always emphasized this, you see the same stuff just with new packaging. It's getting worse because (laughs) in the good old days, we had the same stuff from different vendors and it behaved more or less the same way. It had different CLI, it had different show commands, it had different bugs, but a router was a router was a router. IP routing in uh, AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud works completely differently. You know, you think it's IP routing, but there are subtle differences. It's like you would be on three different planets with different gravity and uh, different air pressure. It's not like 
you would buy stuff from three different vendors and it would more or less behave the same way. You go into three different public clouds and they behave in different ways. So fun times. I think you've said, if, or you said in our previous interview, one of the most important things is to learn the fundamentals, right? Absolutely. I always say that. So when you talk about fundamentals, what are you talking about? For example, if you want to understand how the networking in cloud violates the first principles, first, you have to know what the first principles are. So you have to know just a simple question. You should be able to explain to anyone uh, what an ARP request is and why do you need that and why you don't have ARP in IPv6, for example. And what is the subnet and why is the subnet important and why is it a bad idea to stretch your subnet from here to New York, <laughs> which uh, some people wanted to do. Yep. And uh, why it's a bad idea to pretend the bridging will save the world and that we could just, you know, stretch this virtual Ethernet cable from here to Antarctica. And then, well, we can go on and go a layer or two up. And uh, the question, for example, why? Well, does it matter if you have IP interface, uh, IP addresses on interfaces or should you have them on nodes? And if you have IP inter uh, addresses on interfaces, how does multi-homing work? Take your phone. Your phone is on Wi-Fi. It's also on 5G. So it gets two IP addresses. How does that work? How does the handover work? I'm talking with you on Zoom and uh, I lose my Wi-Fi and the Zoom call is still going on. How is that possible? So very simple questions with some very interesting answers. And I mean, that knowledge, I think this is the, the way I understand it. If you get that fundamental knowledge, you could go and work on AWS, you could work on an enterprise network, you could go anywhere. It, the concepts stay the same, right? Well, in AWS, it's slightly different, but you very quickly figure out, oh, uh, yes, I do have ARP, but it behaves in a slightly different way. I have something that looks like Ethernet, but I can't do uh, broadcasts. I can't do multicast. I can't do any of the crazy stuff I'm doing in enterprise networks. I can't just move one MAC address from here to there. I can't have two nodes sharing the IP address, so my usual crappy clustering doesn't work. Uh, and then you go to Azure and you figure out that, gee, even ARP doesn't work the way it should. In Azure, by the way, every ARP request is replied with the same MAC address. And uh, then you figure out that, oh, in AWS, you could actually use static routes if they point to a next hop that's in the same subnet because, you know, ARP and all that uh, layer two magic. Whereas in Azure, you can't use static routes on the servers because they all point to their router and that the, their router doesn't care about your static routes. So there are just slight differences that make it so frustrating to work with uh, public cloud networking. When we looked at this previously, you gave us like some top skills to get. And it sounds like fundamentals is always that big thing that you emphasize, get the fundamentals. Are there any other skills that you'd recommend I get? So I said, I asked you this last time, but just let's let's keep, bring it up to date for 2023. If you were talking to your younger self, I mean, we both wish we were 18 or 25 or something again. If you were talking to us, let's say we were starting our careers today, what kind of skills would you recommend that you know I look at getting? Fundamentals of networking, I, we've discussed, but do you want to elaborate on that and perhaps tell us some other skills that we should look at getting? People skills, like communicating with people. That's supposedly hard for engineers. <laughs> yeah. 
the other really important thing that it took me decades to realize is that uh, you know the people who pay your paycheck or whatever it's called where you're working they matter so business matters you are working somewhere because the organization wants you to do something that will help them make money so you're not building networks because they're fun you're building networks because someone wants to transport something over the networks on one hand you have to be pretty realistic in what's possible and don't overpromise and underdeliver on the other hand, you cannot be the department of no, because you're just saying, no, this cannot be done, and you do it too many times, they will just bypass you. Sounds like that's what happened in the data center, right, with like VXLAN and all that stuff, where they um, decided to get rid of networking to a level. Uh, well, uh, no. With VXLAN in the data center, we finally came to our senses. <laughs> because, you know, the whole reason why we had the data center networking that was as crappy as it was, was because VMware was lazy and they implemented the minimum possible virtual switch that uh, effectively offloaded the problem to someone else. So instead of me implementing the virtual networks, I will pretend that VLAN is the answer regardless of what the question is. And I will use VLAN and I will blame someone else for not solving the problem. And the networking vendors were quick to say, oh no, don't worry, we will solve the problem and you can buy this overpriced switch, but it works so well with the VMware crappy switch. <laughs> so everyone was happy apart from the customers. And now with VXLAN, we finally moved the virtual networking on top of IP. Remember when we moved voice on top of IP? Yep. That was like a, a decade before VXLAN. We're showing our age. Yep, go on. And uh, you remember when we moved storage on top of IP? Yep. With iSCSI and NFS and SMB and all that stuff. And we were still transporting VM traffic over VLANs and yep. configuring physical switches every time a new VM appeared on a server. How crazy is that? We finally figured out that, well, you can put Ethernet on top of IP like everything else, and uh, virtual machine uh, traffic is just an application like every other application. And so finally, we would have a sane data center network if only it wouldn't be for VMware and networking vendors. This is what I love about Ivan, and just for everyone who's watching, Ivan's got a website where he goes into this stuff into lot in lots and lots of detail. Bunch of free stuff on his website, a uh, bunch of like webinars that you can pay to attend. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty of this kind of stuff, then have a look at the links below. I've put a link below where you can you know go and have a look at his courses. Ivan, last time we spoke about like um, skills, let, let's get technical skills like Linux. You were saying is one of the skills people should get. Um, get Python. Does that kind of stuff still apply? Any other techie skills that you think people should look at getting? Well, you know, nothing has changed in these two years. We are. Yep. Well, the industry is changing, but the pace is glacial, regardless yep. of what the pundits will tell you. And the just ignore the unicorns dancing around. That's <laughs> always a safe bet. So, yeah, uh, Linux, absolutely. Because if you take a look at uh, what's underneath many of the network operating systems, it's Linux. Nexus OS is running on Linux, Cisco. Arista EOS is running on Linux. Cumulus Linux, by definition, is running on Linux. Viata is Linux. Dell OS X is Linux. Uh, even Cisco IOS XE is Linux deep under the covers. You don't see it. 
but it's there. Definitely get some Linux skills. That will always come handy. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about that because last time we didn't spend too much time talking about that. So you're talking about Docker, Kubernetes, stuff like that, right? Well, I am still trying to stay away from Kubernetes. <laughs> you see, the problem with Kubernetes is it's exactly like OpenStack or any public cloud networking. You have this framework and then you have a gazillion plugins and every plugin is implementing the same stuff in a slightly different way. And then you have the vendor plugins and obviously the vendor plugins are there just so that you can put the Kubernetes stuff on top of the vendor stuff and pay for the licenses. And then you have Kubernetes in public clouds and you have Kubernetes on Google Cloud and on Azure and on AWS and they're implemented in three different ways. So you would, when you talk about containers, you're talking about Docker, or can you tell us like sort of what where should where should I start or focus on if I'm beginning? If you if you're starting, start with Docker. I mean, all the Kubernetes people will hate me right now, but <laughs> uh, if you want to start, it's not the first time that defenders hate you or people hate you. I haven't, been, and that's what I appreciate again. You just you 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 put it. You, you've got our best interest at heart, not the vendor's best interest. So yeah, appreciate it. Docker, from the developer perspective or a single user perspective, is a fantastic environment to work with. Uh, and then you can take the same image and you deploy it on Kubernetes if you wish. Basic skills would be like basic networking, get the fundamentals right, understand ARP, VLANs, routing, stuff like that. Then Linux, containers, that, that's a new one. Uh, we kind of mentioned it last time, but like get, in, get involved in Docker. And then you Python, it, would a network person need to learn Python or some kind of, I think last time you said Python or, or and Ansible or another high level automation tool? Yet again, it depends on what you want to be doing. Uh, obviously, if you love being CLI jockey and configuring VLANs for the rest of your life, then no, you don't need programming. And I even know people who went into networking because they hated programming. I mean, I have bad news for those people. Like you can't be an accountant today without figuring out how Excel works. Uh, it's hard to be anything engineered these days without touching some programming language. I mean, uh, my daughter is studying uh, biochemistry uh, and she had to learn Python and R because, you know, she wow. had to massage the data that she got yep. from the measurement devices. So there is absolutely no way that you will escape some rudimentary programming. Obviously, that doesn't mean that you have to become programmer. That doesn't mean that you have to become software engineer. Well, you can if you wish. And if you're really good at building software solutions and networking, you will be in very high demand because there are very few people that have both of those skills. Yeah. But I don't expect everyone to be there. That would be more like an exception. You have to know enough so that you can talk with a programmer. If you have to hack together some scripts to make your life easier, then obviously it helps if you can do it. And it really doesn't matter if it's Python or Ansible or Bash or whatever, as long as you can build something that will make your life easier. When you decide it's time to build an automation solution, then obviously it's time to engage people who actually know what programming is, because just by learning Python, you have no idea how hard it is to build a stable software solution. Oh, one other thing we can add to the mix, uh, machine learning. 
I think you had you had a very interesting take on AI um, and machine learning. So let's let's jump into that. It's one of those things that you absolutely have to understand. I've been sort of watching AI and trying to figure out what it could do for the last. 35 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was even programming in one of the early sort of AI languages, Prolog. But it's important to understand what these things can and cannot do. Deep learning is something that everyone is talking about. But effectively, what that is, is you have a labeled data set, and then you have this magic box that no one understands how it works, but it does work. And oh my God, we got results. And then you feed the label data set into that box, and uh, then you declare the box trained. And that seems to be a bit of a black magic because there are tons of parameters you need to tweak. You don't have to, you don't want to overtrain the box. And then you take new data and you show that new data to the box and say, well, what do you think about that? And the box will give you some answer. Uh, the first thing to know is that the you will never understand why the box gave you that answer. That, that, that's what no one wants to tell you about machine learning. We can't explain what's going on in that uh, neural net. We know it's a lot of weights and some uh, nonlinear functions and all that, and it works. But if you try to explain to someone why that box came up with that answer to that question, well, good luck with that. And uh, the important part for the networking engineers is what I started with, which is a labeled data set. It's easy to train a machine learning solution to recognize the cat videos or uh, dog <laughs> pictures because you have a gazillion pictures on the internet saying this is a dog. Uh, how many packet samples do you have saying this is a bogus DNS query? From a networking engineer's point of view, how deep in AI should I go? Or does that just depend where I want to go in the, in the world? Who's that Dilbert guy, Scott Adams? Yep, yep. He wrote a great blog post once saying, you know, it's really hard to be the best in some discipline, but if you're good enough in five different disciplines and somehow you manage to tie them together and offer something that uh, is a combination of these five things, you will probably be the best in the world doing that. It, it really depends on what you want to do. You're in interested in machine learning, you want to do some networking, try to combine the two. Just figure out how it works, figure out what the limitations are, so you will be able to, you know, trip every vendor sales engineer with the PowerPoint deck <laughs> and you're good to go. So if you, if you were starting tomorrow, we've got some skills in there, some that we haven't mentioned, what would you do? I mean, I've been in this thing too long. I have tunnel vision, machine learning, maybe, uh, big data, which by the way, is just applied statistics. I was talking to a math professor once and she was telling me how she was at a job interview and she actually had PhD in statistics. And the guy interviewing her was like, oh, too bad you went for this particular area. It would be much better if you focused on big data. <laughs> and she's like, excuse me. <laughs> You've mentioned this thing about like be good in four or five areas. So in other words, you don't have, it, it, it's very hard to become like the zero one percent in one specific discipline. That's kind of what you're saying. But like be good in 
four or five and that'll make you unique, right? Uh, you know, it's really hard to be a Hollywood movie star, but to be a presenter talking about networking that everyone loves, that's easier. You just need some acting skills and you need to know a little bit about networking and you will be in great demand. And I mean, you've mentioned this before and I think you've highlighted it again is um, soft skills, listening skills, presentation skills. Like I think it's a big problem in any kind of technical field. You find that you can get people who are really good, but you can't put them in front of a customer. Yeah, that happens all the time. And you know, the really sad part is that that's all fixable. It's not like it would be impossible to figure out presentation skills. It's one or two week training and uh, then you need to practice for the rest of your life and that's it. I mean, trust me, I've been there. I sucked until they sent me to, uh, what was it at that time? Train the trainer from Cisco. Uh, I, I, was just, I was just thinking that that's exactly what happened to me. I went to train the trainer and the, the, the guy who was doing it really helped me. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm an introvert. I, uh, it's, uh, it's not normal for me to go and present in front of a whole bunch of people, but it's something you can learn. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a talent, it's a skill. Let's, let's talk about certs. I think we've spoken about this before. Do you still think certs have any value? <laughs> I, I don't think I changed my mind. Uh, there are two values to certifications. First, uh, if you are applying to job openings, then uh, you are one of a thousand people who apply because it's so easy to apply today. You don't even have to pay for the stamp. In the good old days, you had to pay for the envelope and you had to print your resume and you had to pay for the stamp and you had to go to the post office. Today, anyone can submit their application online. And uh, so it's ridiculous how many applications you get for every job opening. And so the poor people on the other end, they can't read 10,000 applications. They have to implement some filters. And certifications are one of those filters. And the sad part is that you could be the best person for the job, but if you don't meet those mandatory requirements, no one will look at your application and no one will figure out that you are the best person for the job. So you need some certifications just to get through that first filter. Now, obviously, later in your career, as you build your other network, you know, the people network, not the computer network, you have a name, you have a personal brand, then it becomes easier because then, I think we discussed this the last time, then you can get to a point where uh, they create the job for you because they want to have you. But it's, it's a long journey. It won't happen tomorrow. What you need to get started is something to get past the, the first filter, and unfortunately, certifications are sometimes that first filter. On a more positive side, uh, they are structured, so uh, most certifications make some sense, some limited sense, let's put it this way. <laughs> uh, and if nothing else, you have this uh, list of topics that you have to master, and uh, just going through that list and figuring out how everything works and mastering those topics will help you. Now, obviously, there are two ways to do that. Uh, Option number one is uh, you go and you buy the uh, answers from one of the cheater sites, and then you memorize the answers, and then you pass the certification exam, and you are as stupid as you've been yesterday. And then you go for the job interview, and they figure out in the first five seconds that uh, you're as stupid as they expected you to be, and off you go, and you just wasted your time and money. Or 
you could say, well, I really want to understand why the right answer is this. And uh, spoiler alert, sometimes what you think the right answer is not what they think the right answer is, even though you are right. So that happens all the time. If you know too much, you will fail a test because (laughs) you're overthinking it. But at least uh, you will understand how things work. And if you do get to the job interview and someone wants to figure out whether you are, you know, just a talking head that used the cheat codes to get their certification or whether you are someone that actually knows something, then knowing how things work will help you. I would strongly recommend to lab everything that you want to learn. It's one thing to read about stuff and memorize it. It's a totally different thing if you set it up in a lab and then you take the uh, packet capture with Wireshark or something and you look at that and you try to understand the packets and what's going on. And then you will understand stuff, not memorize it. It's longer. It takes more time, but, you know, it might be worth the effort. It's so, it's so it's so much easier today. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old guy, which we are, but um, you know, with with CML from Cisco and even Packet Tracer, there there are ways to practice and learn so much hands on. Uh, I have even better things than CML. Arista allows you to download the VM or the container for free. That's great. Uh, Cisco allows you to download Nexus ninety three hundred for free. Uh, Juniper allows you to download the VSRX, that's the firewall, or the QFX, that's the data center switch. Uh, Dell has downloadable image. Uh, Viata is open source anyway. Aruba does, yeah. Uh, no idea about Aruba. No, they do. They have, they have a free product now, which is great. Yeah. So there are tons of uh, vendors that uh, have downloadable images that you can set up in your lab. And if you are a GUI person, then you obviously use GNS3. Uh, if you believe in CLI and programming and infrastructure as code and version control and all those buzzwords, uh, then you either try to do it yourself or you take the tool that I've been developing for the last two years. And then you set up the lab and you start, uh, you know, playing with stuff and figuring out how it works. And by the way, Arista does have a nice advantage over many other platforms. Uh, It's using something that looks like, double quotes, industry standard CLI. And industry standard CLI is really a polite way of saying we copied Cisco CLI, but we can't admit that. (laughs) So yeah, there are differences. There are important implementation differences between, let's say, Cisco iOS or Nexus OS and Arista. But it's 90% the same experience. And it's important to learn multi-vendors anyway, or multiple vendors, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, in programming. Yes, you should start with one language. Today, most people start with Python, or maybe it's Go or Rust. I stopped stopped caring. Uh, but eventually you will have to learn more programming languages. And I probably used like a dozen of them in the past. And you figure out they're all the same. I mean, the syntax is slightly different. The libraries are different. They do things slightly different way. And sometimes they call a thing a pointer and sometimes it's just an object. And then uh, only the old timers realize that they're effectively using pointers behind the scenes. And the more, let's say, programming languages you know, the more valuable you are because... You can't just go and program in all of them, but at least you can look at the code and understand what it's doing. And it's the same with networking and multiple vendors. I think it's great advice. I mean, if you understand the fundamentals, 
it's much easier to jump from one vendor to another. If you understand the technology, uh, VLANs or whatever, the concept, then it's easier to understand the implementation thereof. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, OSPF areas are the same in every single box. They're configured as different ways, but they behave, they should behave in exactly the same way. And by the way, o- OSPF is a great example because that's the most overspecified RFC I've ever seen. We've, we've discussed this before now, I want to, but this is something that young people especially always have a problem with. It's, you know, it's um, how do I get experience without experience? Um, how do I get a job that wants experience if I don't have experience? So I'm starting out. Is there a way for me to get experience? Build something. What's stopping you? Every single public cloud has a free tier. Now, be careful with AWS free tier. Uh, go and read last week in AWS. Corey Queen has a few choice words about the AWS free tier. And you should read what he's putting out anyway. Every single vendor has some free tier. So there is absolutely no excuse why you wouldn't build something in a public cloud. It can be a simple website. It can be, I don't know, your personal blog. Learn Markdown. Learn Git. Set up a server. Build your website with Hugo and publish to S3. Oh, then deploy the virtual machine in the public cloud that will do that for you. So there are tons of things that you can do on absolutely zero budget. And then when you get to a job interview, you can say, I did this and I did this and I did this and I learned this. And, you know, and it costs you nothing apart from your time. Or if you want to play with pure networking, uh, set up a lab on your laptop. And uh, yet again, Arista is great because... uh, They give you a container, so it's a low footprint. You can build a network with, I don't know, maybe even 10 switches on your laptop. Practice, 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 document what you did. You can build, you know, a portfolio. You go somewhere, you say, well, hey guys, I did build this sample network and I learned these things and it worked this way and it didn't work the other way and I automated it. I used Ansible to configure it costs you absolutely nothing. You just have to be curious. I love that because it's, um, you know, in the old days, it was difficult in that you had to buy physical devices to do like proper networking. But now, like you said, you can spin up stuff in the cloud. You can build virtual networks. And let's come back to documentation. It's really important to document what you're doing, right? Absolutely. I mean, that should be a habit. And most people don't have that habit for whatever reason. And uh, the other thing that really helps is if you manage to build a tool chain that helps you produce decently looking documentation. And it's all out on the web, like read the docs, dot whatever it is, com or IO or whatever. And uh, there's a new one, make docs. You write your documentation in Markdown. You maybe have to specify a few things in a Python script. You put it all on GitHub and then you tell this other site to pull it down and you have wonderful professional documentation with almost zero effort for free. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the I always felt in the past, you know, if, if I was doing developer type work, if I was writing code, I could put that on GitHub and then people can see my code. And it, was, it always felt like, how do I do that in networking? But I, I think you've, you, the examples you've given is, is, is a great way to do that. If you build sample networks, if you build stuff in the cloud, um, put that on, uh, put that somewhere. 
Uh, I know you, you've always said, like in a previous interview, don't use WordPress or something like that, but at, at least put it somewhere, like LinkedIn or somewhere. Tell people what you're doing. Oh, not LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, avoid walled gardens. I mean, I use LinkedIn and you use YouTube. Uh, but I only use LinkedIn to publish pointers to my stuff, which is on my under my own domain. Because, you know, just look at what's happening with Twitter these days. Uh, you invested uh, years into building a following and uh, creating content, and it's all tied to some platform. Or, you know, the stories about people who were kicked off YouTube by the automatic algorithms, and yep. some of them never made it back. Don't risk it. Own your content and use the social media just to publish pointers to your content. I mean, you can publish your content for free. It's not like you would have to pay something. You can publish it on GitHub. You can publish it on Cloudflare pages. You can publish it on GitLab pages. You can publish it on Read the Docs. There are tons of platforms that allow you, under certain restrictions, to publish your stuff for free. Why would you publish it on LinkedIn? No, I get that. I, I think the, the count I gave you last time, which I give you again, is... Um is uh, reach, social media reach. But I, 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 I'll highlight this again. I love what you do on Twitter and other platforms where you give people like a, like a teaser and then you point them back to your website. Exactly. Use the social media for what is good. It's rich. Yeah. Yeah. Don't use social media to host your content. Yeah, that's a difference. I mean, it, it is a worry on YouTube. And like you said, I, I don't just have my content on YouTube for that very reason, because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, most what? of these things are in one way or another walled gardens. Just to summarize what we did last time, and I just want to come back to these skills. And uh, you've added like containers as, as, as another skill to, to look at. Um, top sort of skills that you mentioned previously were basic networking. So I'm assuming that still applies. Uh, Linux. Git, we kind of mentioned Git. Did you want to say anything more about Git? Isn't everyone using Git these days? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, absolutely. Thanks for pointing this out. Absolutely master the basics of Git. It makes your life so much easier to know that uh, whatever you do, it's always safe somewhere and you can always fetch a previous copy of your work and you can always see what changes you made. You know, it's uh, like uh, Dropbox history or any yeah. other similar service, but with context and with messages why things changed. And uh, you can even create parallel universes with branches. So, yeah, I don't think I would want to do anything that's text related without putting it into a Git repository these days. It makes a lot of sense. Last time you mentioned networking on Linux. So I'm assuming you're just talking about like, I mean, I think we had a discussion about Cumulus. So that's still something to look at? Absolutely. Well, as I said, uh, a lot of network operating systems yep. uh, run Linux behind the scenes. On the other hand, uh, you might have to work with the server people. And uh, like 90 something percent of all servers today probably run on Linux. I know there are people still running Windows servers, but uh, let's move on. If you're a networking person, then it helps if you can help them understand how to set up their servers so that they work the right way with the network. Because honestly, you can't expect the server people to be networking gurus. 
That's your job if you're a networking engineer. If you say, well, you have to use this VLAN to connect to the network, uh, can you expect the server person to understand what you're saying? Wouldn't it be better if you could say, well, this is how you do it on Linux, and there are these three ways how to do it on Linux, and by the way, this way is the best way to do it. I love that. And um, I mean, that, another point uh, is application architecture. Um, last time you said you need to have an, like, and I think you're highlighting that again, you need to have an understanding or appreciation out of the, the, the standard domain, right? Always try to understand the adjacent yeah. thing is. So obviously, if you're a networking engineer, you better understand how uh, Ethernet works and how fiber cables work, even though hopefully you will never be splicing the cables. There are people doing that. Likewise, uh, you will probably hopefully not be managing the DNS server, but you still have to know how DNS works and what's expected to get out and all the resource record types. And uh, if DNS doesn't work, then it sort of looks like the networking problem, so you better be able to troubleshoot that. And it's the same with the application architecture. The more you understand the adjacent domains, oh, and storage, storage yep. is the same thing. The more you understand the adjacent domains, the more helpful you can be, the more people will appreciate your value. Because you know, if you're a hardcore networking engineer and no one understands what you're doing, then what's the perceived value yeah. in the organization. Is that crazy guy and we throw pizza under the door and eventually the network works? <laughs> On the other hand, if you can talk with all these people and help them figure out the solutions to their problems, then all of a sudden you become valuable. All of that, it's, very, it's so important. Um, and that, I mean, it, it comes back to one of the other ones you mentioned, presentation skills and people skills. And the last one that we haven't spoken about it, well, we, we've spoken about it in quite a bit of depth, but on the list is cloud. You know, it, it's different to where like years ago when we started, where it was like, okay, go and do CCNA, do CCMP, do CCIE. That was kind of like the track. It, it looks like it's it's got a lot wider these days, right? Well, CCNA is probably still, you know, a valuable one. Yeah. Uh, as one of those filters that gets you through the door and to a job yeah. interview. Uh, or uh, you could go for one of the uh, entry-level cloud uh, certifications. There's an AWS one. There's probably yeah. an Azure one. There's probably a GCP one. There's an entry-level Linux certification. Having CCNA plus AWS entry-level certification can't hurt. Uh, yet again, obviously, you have to figure out which cloud to focus on. And uh, it looks like the answer is AWS uh, for a very simple reason. Uh, a lot of people are also using AWS. It could be that they're also using something else. Like, obviously, everyone is using Azure because everyone is on Office 365. And uh, Microsoft almost counts that as cloud revenue, but you know that has nothing to do with Azure as such. But I think that what I see is a lot of people using AWS, way more than, uh, for example, Google Cloud. Unless obviously you want to go work for a startup, then yes, learn Google Cloud. Here's a, a nasty question. CCIE still of any value today? Oh, absolutely. You always need people who have the expert level skills in any particular technology or uh, specialization. So yeah, absolutely. You need uh, CCIEs, you need J JNCIEs, you need uh, whatever AWS equivalent is. So you will always have need for people who have that deep focused knowledge of one specific technology. 
I have no idea how many of them you need. That's a different story. I, th I think it's, you know, if I was starting out today, see if, see if you agree with us, I would look at CCNA or um, it depends which domain you want to go into. But if you want to be like a networking type person, CCNA is a great place to start. And then perhaps look at uh, AWS uh, Basic Cert, look at Linux Plus from CompTIA, and may maybe DevNet. I don't know if you agree with that. DevNet's, you know, the problem with DevNet that I don't like so much is it's very Cisco-ish focused, but perhaps go and look at like getting some Python certs, some like dev certs, so that you round, you're very rounded at the sort of the, the beginner level. And then you can decide what you enjoy and where you want to go. Well, you know, I would agree with all you said, apart from, uh, I don't know whether it's worth investing in pure Python cert. If yeah. well, if you want to be a software developer, that's a different story, but then we should be having a totally different discussion and I should be the one talking about it. Uh, so assuming you are you want to be networking focused, then yeah, DevNet would be way better than a pure Python cert. I'm glad you said that. I mean, I th I'm glad you said that because I mean, DevNet is Cisco-ish focused, but it's like you said, it, it does cover like a lot of the dev basics. Yeah, well, but you know, uh, let's be realistic. Cisco still has huge market share. I mean, I'm positive there are organizations out there that have zero Cisco in their network. I'm also positive there are way more organizations that have at least some Cisco in their network. So from Cisco, from, from a beginner point of view, with CCNA and then say the DevNet associate, and then perhaps Linux plus AWS basic cert. I can't remember what it's called again. Did we cover all of that? I think that's the basics. Those are good certs to start with, right? And then CCMP if, you, if you're interested in going deeper. That depends on uh, where you want your career to go. Do you want to be more focused on uh, Cisco and boxes? In which case, yeah, absolutely CCMP. You want to be more cloud focused, go for AWS the next level. You want to be more of an automation guy. I don't know whether there's a next level DevNet. Yes, yeah, the CS, they have DevNet professional, yeah. So, are you, I mean, this is another, I, I want to ask the questions that I get asked a lot. Would you choose a Cisco cert? Like we've been speaking Cisco certs on the networking side rather than say another vendor cert, like Arista or Aruba or whatever. Look at the market share. Sorry, the only value of an entry-level cert like CCNA is to have the filter to pass uh, when you're applying for a job. So I'm glad you said that. I mean, it's I get a lot of pushback because I always say do CCNA, but it's it's like you said the, the market share Cisco is still the leader in the market by far, and um, it's the most well-known. And if you look at so, uh, just for everyone who's watching, go and go. I, I've done this. Go on um, LinkedIn or go on any of the big job sites and go and search for CCNA versus go and search for some of the other certs. And very quickly, you see the number of jobs that ask for CCNA. Exactly. Just do your market research. You uh, you want to invest into a marketable skill? Well, what should you do first? Do a market research. Yeah. Because every market is different. I mean, you know the UK market. I have some vague idea what Central Europe is doing. US might be totally different. Asia might be totally different. But as you said, there is a great recipe. Yeah, go into the job sites and have a look. Last time we spoke, Ivan, you mentioned Deep Work as a book. I, I really recommend that book as well. Way to study and gain knowledge. You've been doing this for years. How do you keep up? When you've been doing it for years, it's easier because you're cheating. You know, I'm able to download an AWS PDF or Azure PDF and it's 300 pages. And uh, two hours later, I am creating a presentation out of that PDF because I've seen it all before. So I just skimmed through it and I know exactly 
what I can skip immediately and what's worth reading. And uh, in the end, you have to read 30 to 50 pages out of those 300 pages. Once you have enough experience, you figure out that you mostly need the last 10%. So it's not that hard even as you get older and older. Uh, obviously, if you're starting, then yeah, as you mentioned, uh, turn off Netflix, turn off LinkedIn, deinstall Facebook, log out of Twitter and start working. So Deep Work is a great book. Do you have any others that you felt have really helped you or that you'd recommend if you're starting again? Like, how do I learn? How do I pick up the stuff? Because when you start out, I, I remember, I still remember the first initial learning of, of networking. It felt like I was drinking from a fire hydrant. There was just so much and I couldn't make sense of it. And I think a lot of people are starting out feel that way. How do you, how do you navigate that? Any advice? Well, uh, happened to all of us. I don't think there's a good answer. Uh, the one thing that uh, I realized with my kids is that everyone has a different learning style. So some people uh, have to read stuff. Some people have to watch stuff. Some people have to listen to stuff. Some people have to practice stuff. So figure out what works for you. Oh, don't forget to practice. Yeah. That always helps. Oh, one other thing. You haven't mastered a topic until you can explain it to someone who has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I've taught for years, and I felt that the best way to learn was to teach. Exactly for that reason. Yeah. Like you taking that 200-page document, and then you're having to put it into a PowerPoint presentation. And in your mind, you're thinking, um, well, I'm, this is what I'm assuming you're doing. I do all the time is like, okay, how am I going to present this? How am I going to teach this? And then it forces you to learn very quickly. And, you know, after 30 years, it's all an autopilot. Yeah. So effectively, as I'm reading, I'm taking notes. And then those notes can be almost copy-pasted into the presentation already. Because I'm organizing them in a certain way that just happens to be almost ready to be published. As you said, that's experience. If you, if you, perhaps you haven't got someone to teach, then I would suggest perhaps doing this is like write it in your own words on a blog, present it in a YouTube video, do something where you trying to take this, like TikTok even, trying to take, I mean, a lot of people mock TikTok, but I'm, I'm amazed how some of the TikTok creators can take a complex topic and explain it in 50 seconds. I mean, just taking that information and trying to present it again is a great way to learn. Agree with all that. Just keep in mind that uh, being able to do that is an awful lot of work. I mean, you know it, you are doing short videos. If you want to do a good video, it takes an enormous amount of time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. People say TikTok videos are easy and some people perhaps find it easy. I find it much easier to have a talk for half an hour than it is to talk for 60 seconds and try and distill that information down. If you're starting out, perhaps you don't have an audience, then just you do TikTok, do whatever you find. Like you said, do what you what works for you, but then try and present what you're learning. And it's amazing how much you will learn. And I also think the flip side of that is people will find you. They'll find you in the industry if you're putting stuff out. Absolutely. I mean, it takes a while and a lot of people give up saying, well, no one is reading what I write. Why should I keep doing that? But uh, eventually, as you accumulate more material, the search engines will find you. Also, publish on LinkedIn. Also, if you wrote something that you think is really good, there are a number of people who are publishing this uh, occasional blog posts with links to good stuff. Send them an email. I mean, there's packet pushers. There, uh, there's Scott Lowe. He's still doing that. Uh, Russ White. 
And everyone is happy when they find great new content. Well, not just one blog post, create a few things so that if someone stumbles upon your site and they say like, well, do I want to follow this? Then maybe based on one article, uh, no one will say, yeah, this is so cool. I want to follow this guy. Everyone will go like, oh, this is everything he did. Nah, I'm moving on. But once you have something substantial, do tell people directly, send them an email. No one will yell at you for sending them an unsolicited email. The worst that can happen is that it will hit a spam filter or a delete button. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you don't try, you don't know. And I mean, you can contact people on Twitter or LinkedIn or or wherever. There's a, there's many avenues to to get in front of people very easily these days. And I I'll say this. I mean, I I've got a million YouTube subscribers. Um, it didn't happen overnight. It's years. Uh, it, you know, don't give up is the big thing. Like you said, don't. I mean, how long have you be? How long have you had IP space for? Oh, I just looked at it today. I started in 2006. So it's two and a half lifetimes. <laughs> so it's exactly that. I mean, it's, it's you know, if you start, it'll be small. Maybe yourself and your mother will read it, maybe. But it's, um, you know, just don't give up. I'm glad, you've, I'm glad you highlighted that. Ivan, is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? I want to give you the floor. Um, any advice you would give to young people, like the advice you give your kids, you know, or people who are starting out, what, what would you advise? Well, uh, what I always tell my kids is that uh, story from uh, Scott Adams. They're sick and tired of that story. <laughs> so find four or five things that you're good at and figure out how to merge them together. If you can't follow your dreams, find something where you can create stuff. It's amazing how satisfying it is when you can say, I did this, or I shipped this, or I created this. And, uh, you know, that helps when you wake up in the morning and you, ho you have to go back to the office or wherever it is you're working or whatever it is you're doing. So make sure you do something where you can look back and you can say, I did this and it made an impact. I also think, I mean, just to, to jump on that as well or piggyback on that, if you you have to sometimes do the work that you hate to pay the bills. I've had to do that for years. It might take a while for you to do what you really want to do, but like don't don't come home and not focus on the stuff that you really want to do if you're not doing what you want to do at work. So, I mean, I built internet stuff on the side, you know, have a have a side business, work on the side hustle as as as, as we would say these days and and keep working on that and then eventually your side hustle could become your full-time job like it did for me. Absolutely. And that will always work better than watching Netflix. Ivan, I really want to thank you for sharing. Thank you for keeping it real. Uh, we had a lot of feedback on our previous videos. You know, you, you keep it real. I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Brilliant. Thanks, Ivan. Thank you.